Welcome to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft Podcast, and today's episode, these aren't the droids you're looking for, well, what can that possibly mean? Well, I know it's a reference to Star Wars, so I suppose we could talk about glamour magic, the force, the magic of Star Wars, there's an awful lot you can talk about in this episode. Going to include um, aliens. What, what, shall we start? <laughs> uh, yeah, we could talk about aliens. Um... Literally, I mean, the possibilities are endless. I suppose we should start by talking about maybe glamours and some mind control, given that the reference is for that scene where he's kind of using the force to control yeah. someone. And what would you say? I don't know if I'd call that a glamour. That's more mind control. But at the same time, you're projecting what you want someone else to, you know, to see or how you want them yeah, to behave. It's... So let's start it's with glamour. It's suggestion, we'll isn't it? Which I guess is the basis of a good glamour. So what do you use glamours for then? Uh, first dates. <laughs> um, meet, meeting groups, I imagine, is probably the most obvious time. It's okay. kind of... And um, um, what do you, what, what do you glamour yourself to look or feel like? I think it's more a um, a lift of energy that kind of hides hides the uh, the knowledge level, I suppose, more than anything. So you like to walk into a room of uh, pagans and then think that you're brand new to this. Yeah, path. I suppose. I suppose so. Um, and kind of making sure that um, I'm not detracting from the energy in the room so that if they've got and particularly when it's a group of of new practitioners where you're not quite sure what you should or shouldn't be showing mm. well I suppose I've always used it more like kind of like camouflage so whenever I've done glamours it's always been I just want to blend in and not be seen at all not be interacted with but then i'm told i'm quite introverted and i don't like people so i'd rather go into a room and no one talk to me oh, is that? <laughs> but yeah i think glamour is stereotypically everyone always goes on about their use generally referring to making yourself look attractive or making other people attracted to you but in reality it is essentially a mask i suppose yeah. isn't it or as I, like I said, how I kind of use it is either um, to kind of, yeah, mask what I'm not wanting other people to necessarily see straight away, or as kind of almost like a sympathetic armour. Okay, yeah, so working it into the defences. Yeah. Just because that way, when you meet a new so, group, it's a case of you don't want them to feel threatened by you, and sometimes when someone walks in, if you were to show a power level... Um, you might upset the balance in the room. Yeah, again, like, I don't want to make it sound, I don't want to sound rude, but I have a tendency not to consort with pagans and the like. So, you know, I was never one of those people that had a lot of interaction with other magical people or the magical community or the pagan community, because those two things aren't necessarily the same. Um, but since having more of a um, 
an interaction with certain groups, particularly public ones. So when you talk about pagan moots and that sort of thing, there's been one or two which I could see that if you did happen to wander along to some of these, you don't necessarily want to be walking into a room because some of them can be quite clicky. And I think sometimes when you have someone that walks in a room and, you know, the the status quo kind of pay attention to that and might view you as a threat or kind of muscling in there. Um, I mean, I'm lucky in the fact that the, the, the pagan moot I go to, the Tuesday night moot in Bristol, is very friendly, very open. But I have been to a lot of others where there's very much a hierarchy. And when you go in there, you're either a threat to the status quo and the people that run the group, or you're essentially a pleb or someone to be used and taught. Exactly. So it's one of those things that you you have to make a decision what you're going to be or not go there at all. And for us, that option isn't so much, isn't there anymore because it's generally the work that we do with the, the business side of things and that for the for Thoth Witchcraft, we kind of have to be ambassadors, I suppose, and go to lots of different yeah, places. Yeah, be visible, especially um, as we're trying to really kind of, uh, with all the kind of educational work that we're doing, is try and be out of the broom closet. So that kind of means that we really should be involved in the local community so aside from um, glamouring to make yourself look a little bit mon- more mundane on an energetic level, have you done any other form of glamours? Have you used anything in the stereotypical sense for dates and such, you know, that kind of a thing? Or is it literally a case of there's no real point? Because <laughs> that seems to be what everyone always asks me about when it comes to glamours. It's always about... You're either wanting to appear more attractive to get a girl or a boy or both. Yeah. <laughs> or it's still included with kind of love and lust magic or that kind of a department. When I don't think that really does it justice. No. Like I said, I think me, I use it probably more in a kind of psychic defensey kind of way. Um, or like you say, camouflage rather than... Um, mm. But yeah, I suppose I probably have used it on... Whether intentionally or unintentionally, as I've used glamours when I've met people for the first time, where you just wanted them to see your focus on what you're saying rather than what you're actually doing or look like, and therefore um, you make sure that the energy coming forward is is subtler, I guess. Uh, so, would glamours? Sorry, what was you going to say? I was going to say, with glamours and stuff like that, because of the um, it being stereotypically associated with fooling another person and glamouring yourself, what about the glamouring and shielding or hiding of objects and stuff like that? So installing a glamour in a, in a device or, a, sorry, like a piece of jewellery or an item, for example. So when it comes to creating a magical item, making something that's actually cursed look harmless... Yeah, um, I've done a lot of that with uh, um, rose quartz. The one we talk about a lot <laughs> is where I 
rose quartz, <laughs> but rose quartz is such a lovely thing, well, is that's it not? Thing. So I, I find that people are drawn to that because they've got a certain um, assumption that they make with a stone like that. And therefore, people are a bit shocked when I tend to say that most of my kind of um, anti-relationship magic is always attached to a good rose quartz. Um, and most people are like, well, surely that can't possibly work because, you know, rose quartz is all healing and loving and wonderful and, um, you know, all of those things. And yeah, rose quartz in itself, where you're actually using its actual appearance to work as a work in with a glamour in order to actually conceal its real purpose um, in, an, in an involvement like that. Yeah, again, because like with attraction magic um, or attraction glamours, you're making an ugly person look pretty, but the opposite is true. You're making a essentially uh, a pretty thing look different, essentially, or hiding it. Hiding the energy Hiding its there. darker core purpose. So yeah, I, I've, yeah, I know that Lady Poison, I'm sure she won't mind us sharing this story, but she said about um, this cauldron that she was going to buy in a, um, or she did buy actually, <laughs> yeah. in an antique auction. Yeah. You remember that story. Um, and the fact that she found this, this, um, this cauldron, thought it was quite interesting, quite cheap. So put in a bid for it, ended up buying it. And it was only after she, she owned it, legally owned it, that suddenly the cauldron appeared in a very different light. And the energetic profile of it was something very nasty and malicious. And that's quite an interesting one in the fact that Clearly, there was some sort of a glamour put on that map, you know, that object whereby it. only the owner sees, yeah, only the owner sees what it actually is. I know when it comes to the designing of cursed objects and things like that, that you want, if you had a cursed necklace or a cursed penny is a good one. Um, it's not necessarily just glamouring something to appear physically. It's also glamouring... Um, the way you feel about that object. So if you have something that isn't particularly nice, like an evil penny or something like that, you want that to appear, you know, nice and unbiased. But what you want to program that with is you want it to program to send off a vibe of you need to pick yeah. this up. You need the to attraction pick me part up. needs to be you involved. Know, it's not a case. Yeah, it's, it's not just a case of make what it looks like. It's really, I mean, when it comes to this is what probably why we named this podcast, um, because you're just talking about, you know, on this episode, you're talking about glamour, but very often glamours aren't just the physicality and what something looks like is actually mind yeah. control. So with that, the glamour is the fact that, oh, yes, I, you know, if you imagine you're the penny oh, I'm just, you know, a, a penny minding my own business on the floor or in a drawer or something, and I couldn't possibly harm anyone. Pick me up, pick me up, pick yeah. me up, that sort of thing. So, you know, and then before you know it, they pick it up. And again, um, that works in the same way that I'm talking about the rose quartz, is someone wouldn't possibly assume that a, a rose quartz was going to have something insidious on the inside. It's the same with, a, you know, most people would look at a penny on the floor and go, you know, lucky penny a penny pick it up all day long have good luck yeah whereas if you're going to put something in plain sight that has potentially uh, 
an entrapment there. It's the perfect idea. I wonder how many people after this will uh, avoid, avoid picking up pennies. Well, I was going to say, if you end up happening across a rose quartz crystal, particularly if it's dumped on the side of a crossroads, I suggest you not <laughs> pick it up, especially if you're in the UK, because you never know where this one gets hey. to. You know, it gets around a lot and you don't want to pick that up. I mean, we have been accused of being not particularly nice witches upon occasion. I think of us more yeah. as grey. Neutral. You know, very much in the grey as opposed to the... Yeah, exactly. But, you know, every now and then it's nice to cause some trouble. <laughs> and a cursed penny, or a jinxed penny, I yeah. should say. Misfortune and trouble, you know. That is one of those things. I mean, glamouring... You can glamour people, you can glamour objects, you can glamour property. If, for example, you wanted um, to sell a house, you know, if you're trying to sell your house or something like that, you might want to... In fact, some estate agents used to get cookie, like cookie air freshener yeah. spray and spray that in the house because freshly baked cookies remind you of home, supposedly, so it makes you feel warm and inviting and at home. Whereas maybe if you're the unscrupulous magical estate agent, you might start glamouring all of the properties you're selling yeah. in order to make everyone that goes in feel like they want to buy it. You know, I mean, that goes into morality, I think, yes, to a certain extent, but, but we don't need to touch upon that. But then equally, <laughs> it's not it's not like um, uh, the reference that we're using with the Star Wars. It's not exactly like it was for a lie, you know, Um it's not, it was yeah. to avoid detection on a secret mission. Um, but it doesn't make it any less, you know, morally grey. Um, just because he happened to be the uh, the goodie, that's a, a, obviously a reference of opinion, isn't it? So. Yeah, true. These aren't the Jews you're looking yeah, for, Hitler. Go about exactly. your business. <laughs> Whereas, so what about mind control in general then because of course mind control isn't just necessarily a glamour it does merge the two topics together but then there's all out mind control whether you're using psychological techniques such as you know like um, mentalism the sort of stuff that Darren Brown does on his stage shows or what about the magical techniques I mean we were talking about you know a joke about hiding Jews during World War Two, but if you take Hitler for example, he was great with public speaking and certainly with mind control techniques that he learned funnily enough from a Jewish yeah. mystic. Which kinda of makes things know, a bit strange. You'd have thought that a Jewish miss it makes it a little bit strange in the fact that you'd have thought that a Jewish mystic that knew understood a lot about astrology and could see the future ended up working with Hitler only to be shot. But I think that might be one for another Definitely. podcast. But mind control techniques are used all the time. Um, and it, would you say it's a lower form? Well, of yeah, magic? to me, I liken it to the same way as to give a, a perfect example that nobody probably would think of is a person's telephone voice. <laughs> you know, the, the way that people have that. And depending on, you know, some people have a, a different telephone voice depending on the situation. So they'll have. Um, a way in which they answer a call to um, a client, if you're working in a um, any kind of sales or retail business, then equally you have that 
that phone voice for when your mother calls. Um, or, you know, or when um, you're taking a call from where you think it's possibly a nuisance caller um, and they're trying to sell you PPI. Like, you know, you have those different voices, those things where you change your voice. It's one of those um, one of those things where we talk about in nature with birds and mimicking. Um, it's all part of that kind of natural um, defence mechanism to a certain extent. Um, but it is, you know, that is exactly that. And how convincing your phone voice is and how well you're actually able to sell something is normally based on those kind of very base, low-level magic that we're talking about with mind control. Yeah, it, it, it goes more, I think, into psychology. Yeah. And if you look at NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and all that sort of thing, that's all about, you know, getting the cell, you know, all of these sorts of psychological um, techniques or, you you know, techniques that are used by psychologists and therapists that go down really well on the business yes. world, in the business world, where you get some person that used to be a, a therapist works out they can spend, you know, they can make a hell of a lot more money running 20 grand a day seminars on using NLP to teach executives how to sell their products yeah. better and salespeople and all that sort of thing. I mean, it's not too dissimilar from all these self-help gurus. It's just the fact that they have a little less pseudoscience and more psychology, although some would say that psychology is a pseudoscience. Well, exactly. <laughs> Depending on what field you're in, depends on how they look down yeah. upon. It's perhaps not the most hard science, although it may be more of a science than perhaps some of our friends in archaeology. Yes. <laughs> Egyptologists. But then some people would argue there, Liam, that obviously, surely that's psychology and therefore it's got nothing to do with magic. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, when, when we take people particularly on the chaos magic you know, from the people, normally it's atheists or people that have no experience with magic or what would be called the, the paranormal, that sort of thing. And they start to think about spell work and manifesting things in their lives. And then they think about, well, this spell is just me physically programming my unconscious mind so that I look out for opportunities and stuff like that. But that's fine. But then when you get those people to start programming things on the other side of the world that they don't have any connection physical, to, you know, connection to, and then that thing happens. That's more than just psychology, yes. but psychology again is essentially the study of the mind consciousness to a certain extent and the brain. So, you know, that is what we use as humans is our brains, you know, the left hemisphere, the right hemisphere, you know, all of techniques in psychology are used in yeah. magic and all of that is a manipulation of energy so because that energy those synapses working all over your body um in your nervous system yeah. is all electricity so manipulating somebody else's electricity current um is essentially mind control so how does it differ and how how would you go about uh, different types of glamours then so if you were glamouring yourself obviously that would be slightly different to if you're glamouring an object because when you're glamouring yourself 
it's almost like putting on a, a mask or something like that. You're in control of that and it doesn't last necessarily. But whereas when you're glamouring an object and then giving that object away or putting it up for, for sale on an auction site just to have a bit of a laugh, um, <laughs> eBay, <laughs> don't buy rose quartz from eBay, <laughs> then, um, you know, how does that differ? How does that 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 change because of course it would need it would it, need a it power source for longer a continuous enough. yeah a continuous power source and it would need to run and maintain itself you know that standalone magic essentially yes. yeah so obviously an insidious um cauldron is going to have its own power source anyway so i think that particular one was probably a quite an easy one to maintain um and the sense when I, you know, when I may be tampering with uh, rose quartz, I'm only going to put enough in energy in for it to be a contact one. So at that point, you're adding in a trigger. So, you know, um, the trigger for the pot, uh, for the cauldron, perhaps, was the group of people stood around at an auction, all deciding whether or not they want it. Um, and in that kind of want or not want is that attraction trigger triggering the part that kind of goes oh actually somebody's going to want to take this home um, and the same works with a crystal or a, or a lucky penny that doesn't happen to be so lucky um is that there is that want connection in order for you to trigger the magic to begin oh you're breaking up a little bit there <laughs> Yeah, again, glamours, when I think of glamours, a lot of what springs to mind when I would use a glamour is more for defensive magic. And very often I think of it as defensive magic for when I'm not around. So I'd do far more glamours on something else or another object than I would on myself. So if it comes to, kind of like if you think about Harry Potter and the Room of Requirement, a secret room. Yeah that no one really knows or notices or something like that. You know, that might not be the perfect example, but if you had an object that you don't want attention to be drawn to, or you, you know, you go about conducting, say, rituals in a secret place in the woods and you want there not to be any mundanes happening across it, I know Hogwarts in Harry Potter is said to be glamoured, isn't it? So when muggles come across it, it just looks yeah. like a ruin, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, glamouring an entire building or that sort of thing is quite quite an interesting thought. But normally it's a case of, you know, you're wanting to draw someone to something or push someone away from something. You're just changing that person's natural perception. So how they perceive that thing, you or an object or whatever it is, and, you know, um, synthetically altering that. And it's an art form in the fact that you have to get it right because the person can't be thinking, I get the impression, I feel like I need to pick up this coin, but I don't know where that's coming from. And you can see that with bad glamours. You see it with their, you can tell there's something synthetic about the you know about the, the the charge or about the uh the perception that you're getting i mean that film inception when it's like a dream within a dream within a dream um you know when they went about creating these dreams 
and changing people's uh, minds, which is the reason why they kind of basically, you know, basically to give you a summary of the film is technology that allows you to go into someone else's dream. So kind of like dream walking in the scientific world to plant an idea for then that person to adopt that idea and it manifest. So a dream within a dream within a dream is it going really deep into the mind. But of course, because that's deep into the mind, unless it's a super specific and basic idea, if it's too complex an idea, then the person kind of twigs that it's not coming yeah. from them. So in Inception, they're basically trying to get this uh, billionaire or multi-billionaire to sell his company. So what they're essentially doing is is going on this little, I don't know if you'd call it a quest, but the storyline is someone that does this dream walking is hired to plant the idea that you don't want to, um, you don't want to, you know, you want to fold to the company, you want to give the company away or shut it down because the competitor is basically paying this person to plant this image, um, this, you know, thought process in. And all they did was they picked something that was um, relatable to the target. So they decided to pick the fact that the person's father who gave them the company, you know, says, you don't have to grow up to be like me, son. It's literally a case of you can pick your own way. And that resonated enough with the target yeah. to work. So when you're glamouring an object or something like that, Generally, you don't want a whole paragraph like an evocation. Some of these people <laughs> yeah. do for the, you know, their magic yeah. spells and that. You don't want a whole no. paragraph. You want a super simple, quick one-liner and a feeling and an emotion as yeah. well. So if you're wanting to push people away from an object, what are you going for? Are you going for the fact that you're glamouring your house to scare people? Oh, no, I don't want to go near that. No, danger, yeah. danger, and that kind of glamour. Or are you glamouring it to... No one notices this. I'm invisible, 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 that kind of thing. Because those two are two different glamours that are designed to do the yes. same thing. You don't want someone picking this object up. So you can either make people afraid of that object so they avoid it. Or you can make people forget and not notice the object so they avoid it. Either way, it's a glamour to make someone avoid the object. Exactly. So it's one of those where it's a case of it's a simple it's it's one of the simplest forms of magic I, I must say it was probably one of the first things i ever tried but then i don't know if that was more related to the fact i was quite into the uh, the movie craft at the time um <laughs> which is obviously where most people would go with the hair changing color that sort of thing um the yeah. visual effects and i suppose that's what a lot of people would um of when they think of the word glamour um but yeah i, I think it's a sim it's simple magic it's because it doesn't anything too complicated it wouldn't be able to sustain itself for long enough and you obviously don't want to expel too much energy trying to keep up something like this um obviously with the cauldron that's slightly different that clearly had uh, enough energy to maintain whatever it wanted to maintain uh, for long enough yeah, and with something like that, generally, when you're creating a magical object, you're going to put the amount of effort into protecting that um, when you're taking into account the amount of effort that you're putting in to create it. 
So for example, if I've got a lot of gold bullion, a million pounds in gold bullion, I'm going to put a lot more money into protecting that gold bullion than I am if I've got, say, two coins of silver that's worth about 20 yeah. quid. Because, you know, it's a case of the more effort you want to put in because of the fact that it's worth more. So we never really worked out what that cauldron was for, because I know that Lady Poison, who was a very good friend of the show um, and of us, um, she basically, when she found out that this had a glamour on it and that there was a nasty vibe from it, she decided she didn't <laughs> want it anymore. So she refused to collect it. And of yeah. course, you know, it then no longer belonged to her, went back in the auction pool and technically, you know, went back to being a sweet everyday cauldron, if there is such a thing as a sweet everyday cauldron. But yeah, I mean, you're, you really, when it comes to glamours, you've, I've got people messing around like Chris with his rose quartz. You've got people trying to cover something up. You've got people using it to, you know, sales people, that sort of thing. If you're, if you're glamouring yourself or if, you know, for attraction, if you're going out on the tang, on the pool, you want everyone to be attracted to you. Um, and then you've got more sinister things where you want an object or something like that to be glamoured to hide its true intention. Definitely. But well, seeing as we're on the Star Wars thing, oh sorry, were you no, going to say something? No, <laughs> I was going to say, seeing as we're on the Star Wars theme, then I suppose there. What about the other magic that's in Star Wars? Because of course you've got the whole idea of the Force and stuff like that. It is a kind of whole universe that um, George Lucas has created. And there's a lot of cult and magical kind of things that you can read into there. Not just along, you know, from the the force and how magic works in that kind of universal universe, energy. So the archetypes and stuff like that. Yeah, universal energy, the archetypes behind a lot of the characters and stuff like that, which is of course kind of why partly due to the special effects, which special effects essentially are kind of like yeah. a glamour. But um, you know, the archetypes and the storyline that really resonates with people and that sort of thing. Well, it's it's full of the traditional archetypes of good versus evil, black versus white. Yeah. And, you know, um, anger. The hero's yeah, journey. Anger versus hope. All those kind of, um, you know, traditional archetypes. And Ewoks. And Ewoks, because everything, everybody likes something cute and cuddly that kills. There's that, um, <laughs> there's that particularly heartbreaking moment, isn't there, where um, you've got the Ewoks join the battle and then there's that kind of one scene where um one the, there's a pair of ewoks and one of them gets hit he falls to the ground yeah. and then he shakes him to check if he's if he's asleep yeah and it, uh, yeah yeah i love an ewok I'm not gonna lie um i think they'd make no. incredible cards i'd have to give them something better than a bow and arrow and a, a little pick though <laughs> in order to um oh but yeah it's that kind of you know that harshness of um, of the stormtrooper against these cute and cuddly. Well, you couldn't possibly kill them. You must be a complete monster. Um, yeah. The the rest the rest of it is is beautifully crafted, like you say. Um, and I'm I would be interested to find out exactly where he gets some of his philosophies from, um, particularly with this kind of a universal life force. Um, and his understanding of life and death 
um, is going to change the MOSFETs to, to energies. Um, and memory, particularly memory, um, in the way that obviously it uses stories of enlightenment in order that, you know, obviously I hope I'm not reading anything for anybody, but obviously that um, Yoda getting to a point where he's able to have his consciousness beyond death. Um, which, which is interesting because, of course, you've got, if to, for the stereotypical watcher of Star Wars, the people that are kind of, they like the films and they've watched the films, you get a, a, a kind of two-hand path, much like in occultism, the left-hand path and the right-hand yeah. path, the so-say evil path and the so-say righteous goody-goody white light, which is kind of summed up in Star Wars as the, um, you know, the Jedi are the good ones on the right-hand path and then the Sith are the, the evil ones on the left-hand path. And it is an interesting concept, but of course, when you look into the backstory of a lot of the characters, and then you look into the um, the books and things like that, of course, it's not so simple in the fact that there are other Force users. There are people that are like the Grey Jedi that merged the two together, yeah. sort of like what you'd say the middle path is or the middle pillar nowadays. And those that are um, sensitive, whereby that actually... Yeah. Aren't actually either of the polars, but have have enough intuition to be able to sense that there is some unifying force. Yeah, and so what I thought might be quite a fun idea, because we're now on the Patreon and behind the payment wall, <laughs> so we know it's all the hardcore fans, is let's start typecasting here. So if we've got the um, new agey, happy, happy, everyone's goody, goody, two shoes, wouldn't hurt a fly, white lights. And then we've got the naughty, quinius, porcupine. <laughs> yes. And then where do we fall on this? What would you say we are? Grey Jedi? Because I see us more as the Eternals. Um, the, um, the, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the ones. So the ones were the manifestation of the yes. Force that were uh, living on the Force, on the planet the Force yeah. kind of originated with, where they're essentially... Maintaining. Like these these things, yeah, these things with masks that represent the different faces of the yeah. Force. So you've got kind of like the, the balance of it, because of course people think about the Jedi and all that sort of thing as being the good ones, but they're very unbalanced people, which is why they yes. lost... And the Sith, again, are very unbalanced, which is why they lost You'll their To remember, somebody would have had to have watched beyond the movies for that, because that's only in Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, it's the, in Clone Wars and it's in the books and stuff like that. fill a lot like of that, that gap, that, so but, you'd have you to be know, a hardcore yeah. fan to understand yeah. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, so, I yes, I think I'd probably do the same. I'd probably put us there. We are maintainers of the balance to a certain extent. Um, but... You know, we don't work for either side. Um, yeah, when when you see a lot of magical orders and um, systems and traditions, very often they're creating something such as like philosophies and morality and ethics and that sort of thing, and systems of working. So the Sith have a, a, a philosophy, culture, a system of there working. There are only two. The, the Jedi also have one. You know, the dark the dark Jedi have one, you know, they have their various codes. Whereas when you took a look at magical practice and the way we kind of work, we were, we, we weave in between them yeah. all. 
because that's the approach we take. We we like to take things as from the bigger picture. And there's a lot of politics involved with that kind of magical practice when you've got all of these warring factions and stuff like that. I mean, towards the further the top of the tree, would you say that there's less politics involved between adept practitioners of magic? Yeah, I suppose. Um, I've, I must say I've never thought about it like that, but um, it does. It it is more like that. It's where it's a discussion of ideas or a reach of um, from one one yeah. area to another, um, and therefore it doesn't it doesn't marry up in the same way that it. Um, you're no longer at the point where you're trying to convince somebody that your path is better you are purely talking about uh, craft and magic in its core yeah. so you're talking about energy um, or you're talking about methodology and not actually recruiting for lack of a better word uh, whereas when you're talking at, at that kind of, um, for, for lack of a better word, lower levels uh, where you've got beginners working together they're looking for a path. They're trying to find, yeah. trying to find answers yeah. uh, or or pick out the individual parts that make up that. Whereas when you're getting to the adept level, where you're kind of like, well, I know my my philosophy, so how we can now start to talk about a core topic and see where both of you fall on that side, rather than actually going, mm. um, you need to understand this or they need to understand that. Or, you should think of it this way. It's a case of, well, okay, let's have a chat about death. Um, or let's have a chat about sex magic, you know, and literally talk about, well, how would you approach it? How do I approach it? Neither of us you are trying to convince the other of there's a better method. Um, mm. But in that moment, you're actually just talking about the craft rather than trying to yeah. learn the craft. Yeah, it's 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 approaches that you're taking, because um, I've 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 always been asked right. There's a lot of people that ask me this question, and it's literally that as your practice advances and you speak to other people with, so say, advanced practices or advanced practitioners or adepts, do they all agree? And I tend to have to say that yes, although the flavour of your working is is different you're essentially always dealing with the system that you're in. So creation for one. Universal concepts. And yeah, universal concepts everyone agrees on. It's just how they choose to work with those things and how they choose to work with their energy is often flavoured by their experience, not just over multiple lifetimes, but also the culture that they're currently in and the things that are at at their disposal, I suppose. And to be a true adept practitioner, that's what you have to think about. There is no real system. There's just your knowledge and your understanding of the way the system and magic and creation works and how you're going to change and alter that and interact. It's no longer personal. Based on the fact that you're here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so when it comes to adept practitioners and the archetypes in Star Wars, how would you kind of rate them? Because I know that a lot of people would equate Yoda 
and you know Obi-Wan Kenobi as they say masters of the Jedi Order but when I look at people at the tops of some of these hierarchies in um, occult lodges and, and magical systems, Hermetic Order, the Golden Duel and that sort of thing, some of the founders of Wicca that are still alive, they aren't really adept, are they? They're, they may be at the top of a system, but it's really when Yoda died and then evolved into that. That was kind of the black belt. That was yeah. him reaching a black belt in martial arts and then his training kind of got a little bit more you know the other side you've crossed the abyss would that be yeah, a good way yeah <laughs> you've <laughs> got you've got a situation where even in 900 years he's still only mastered one viewpoint yeah and therefore at that point he's having to realize that both must you know multiple viewpoints must exist and therefore in order to cross paths over the abyss into, um, in, for lack of a better word, afterlife, um, consciousness beyond death, shall we say, um, he needs to now master a whole new, like, and I think even in, in the cartoon, he actually points out that, um, they point out that you know nothing, like literally, yeah, the in the Clone Wars, Wars you're kind yeah. of saying, you know, you know nothing. You now need to forget everything you've been taught up until this point. Because, um, yeah, he walks into that scene. It's that scene where he walks in to um, meet his dark side. And he's like, I have mastered my dark side. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, you know, <laughs> and it's a case of, well, actually, no, you have a flawed understanding of how the universe works. This is how it actually is. Now you're going to learn again um, and passes those trials in order to start the process like it's not even like he gets to the end of those trials and goes now you can you can progress that was the beginning of a next yeah. batch of training that's the beginning everything uh grand master yoda of the jedi order ever managed to get to he only managed to get to the end of the beginning yeah. he only managed to get a foundation and that's important to remember because you will see that in magical practice here where you'll get people with uh, amazing careers that are able to do lots of great things and start whole traditions of magic and systems and stuff like that. But a lot of those people still don't reach a foundation or what you'd consider to be really be a foundation to crossing that yeah. abyss, you know. Until you've... Oh, we're getting a yeah, bit deep. Yeah, obviously we're <laughs> going to do a whole session just purely on the abyss, so you probably don't want to share too much about that. But... Um, you know, it is that part of, and I think it's solidified quite nicely in um, in the Star Wars works, in that kind of realm that they build, that kind of is actually, yeah, if you start to look at it like that um, and compare it to all these kind of <laughs> earthly cults or, um, you know, occult practices that are designed to meet one viewpoint they're not most of these are not looking for universal understanding the only ones that try to claim that yeah. they're doing that are groups like buddhists you know but even that they still use mm. one modality in order to do, do to reach that point so mm. although they're looking at it from multiple uh, viewpoints they still decide that actually their modality gets to the goal that they want to get to um, yeah. You know, and that is the kind of flaw. And I think 
in in all of those systems i know floor is a bad word but you know what i mean um and why that is only the beginning of of you know the end of the beginning is because that that goal that whatever they're trying to reach is not necessarily one that marries in with universal workings that is you know one law one one side of three um rather than looking at a collection of them or how they interact individually as both a single unit and as individuals but again we're getting too deep well, there yeah i mean that that's the thing with the abyss that's why they call it the abyss because you can't see the other side so when you get to the other side it makes sense but then from this angle unless you've already been there it's difficult you are stumbling in the dark in an eternal space but yeah we'll do an entire podcast on that but yeah anyway going back to scott star wars and glamour magic and all <laughs> that sort of thing i mean it's interesting <laughs> it's interesting when it comes to um a, polar, a, a, a kind of something that I see in Star Wars, um, knowing a little bit about the, you know, the books and stuff like that that happens outside, is what I've noticed about in terms of the power of the ancients. So when you look at the Force users or the Jedi and the Sith from thousands of years before the movies take place, they're all vastly more powerful. Yes. And more... Um, not necessarily myths and things like that, because of course in the Star Wars universe they did exist, and it's, the technology was that they had holocrons and stuff like that, where they could leave holographic representations of their teachings and stuff like that. Whereas nowadays we have things written on tomb walls and stuff like that. But nowadays I see a lot of um, magical practitioners and occultists and that that look to Egypt and um, ancient societies and practitioners. Um, and they think, oh, well, you know, looking at that, they were far more powerful than we were, even though our technology has progressed a little bit. You know, with in Star Wars, you see that where they have more technology. You have people such as, um, was it Emperor Palpatine and all that? He's got an entire empire, access to the best of all of the technology, all of the teachings of the Sith and all that sort of thing. And yet he's only just managing to master what people managed to do several thousand years before. Yeah. So what are your thoughts in, in that with the comparison with, you know, people thinking about the ancients as extremely, you know, knowing a lot more than they do now? What, why do you think people feel that way? Well, one, I think it's we've had too much sci-fi about. <laughs> um <laughs> Ancient aliens. aliens you mean? <laughs> There's too much sci-fi that's that's taken that interpretation to mean that obviously we're just not there yet. We just don't have the technology to do such and such. Um, whereas mm. actually, I think they a lot of people miss the point of they were the ancients were able to do a lot more with a lot less. Yeah. Um, because of their understanding of how those items work. Um, you know. Mm. Speciality. They became masters of yeah, something. Yeah, and you know, obviously, we'll probably do one about ancient aliens at some point because it's kind of got to happen. <laughs> um, it's too it's too popular a subject to not discuss it. But you yeah. know, you were talking about um, you know, inter <laughs> when you start talking about um, Egypt and the uh, ancient aliens, and you're starting to talk about you know star vehicles 
and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, which is obviously not how modern people think about it. They think about having technology mm. that allows them to do that. They don't think about, oh, yeah. well, could I visit that place with actually never leaving my living room? You know, yeah. so it's a case of actually having an understanding of the world enough to go, well, well, I want to visit the underworld and then come back, or I want to visit Saturn and then come back. Um, they want to physically be there, well, so and it's that 3D understanding of the world that kind of limits their, their brain, allowing them to see it from a different angle. Well, the, the physical world, particularly in the West nowadays, is very often seen as consumerist and all about physical physical merchandise, physical stuff, essentially, as opposed to what's beyond that. So it does stand to reason that looking through the, the lens of a, a modern Western person, a modern Western practitioner that's flavoured by that culture, that you would often think of things very much about the physical as opposed to the, you know, astral and the uh, ethereal and all that kind of thing. But again, that's only, well, probably even, you're not even getting half of it when you're, when you're focusing on just. Yeah, because the they don't just want to be there. <laughs> they also want to have Instagrammed it, videoed it and put it onto some <laughs> kind of digital archive that proves they were there. And that's the thing. We focus so much on proof now um, in the in the future of the science, yes. you know, we live in a scientific blood world and therefore it's not enough yeah. that you went there or you experienced it. It's got to be, I need to be able to have proved it to everybody else that I have been there and seen it and it's tried and tested. Which is the Facebook and Instagram yeah. journey, the fact that you've got to, yeah, you've got to take a selfie there. And all that matters, like people when, you know, they see something cool or they're out having an experience and all they're doing is blogging, video blogging about it. They're not actually there and present. I mean, there's only so much you can really do with someone with that kind of a mindset, I suppose. Well, how many, how many, um, which how I many times have we been and done a show and then we've got home and gone, oh, did you take pictures? Because I forgot to take pictures. Yeah. Um, and then realised that neither of us took any pictures of the work we did all day. Um, and then you've got to then try and market it with no pictures. Um, yeah. At which point... Which does add... Yeah, it adds to a certain amount of depth because, of course, a lot of these things are a case of if you're not there, you're not going to experience it. I mean, sometimes, you know... I did manage to get a couple of shots of the ancestral altars and stuff like that that we've done, but it is one of those things. Uh, but yeah, and I think I think that's that's a big part of it, and it's same as people are not willing to pay for nothing. So you know, it's like I still, to a certain extent, object to buying digital books. I want to have it in my hand. Oh, you, you and your bloody digital and I want, books. I don't, you and your bloody you know, digital books. No, I don't books. want to just be able to flick through it on um, my electronic device. I want to experience. I want to be able to smell the book. That's one thing they haven't managed to do yet. They may be, you know, managing to uh, make the paper feel more like paper, whatever, when you're on it and the digital. Well, you mean the, the, the um, what is it, Kindle? Yeah, paper, these e-reader things like, that are, like you that. know, designed to look and feel like you're writing on paper and whatever. 
Um, they've not yet to manage to add the smell. Have aspect. you tried one though? Because I know you don't like it, but have you tried them? I've tried e-readers. I want to try some of these um, paper book things, but we'll see. But it is. It's that. Well, I'm I'm one for a PDF. Just because they're free. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's that. Like you say, it's that consumerist part that is so so ingrained in us. Um, I, I remember somebody saying that they blame the Anglo-Saxons for why we like it. Um, everything, every, oh, okay. everything had to be um, bartered for them, and 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 they had to collect everything and um, 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 spend, 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 rather than actually learning the craft themselves necessarily. Um, Maybe it's the, the earning your scout badges has just gone yeah. too far. Yeah, and that actually since then it's it's okay. continued to get worse and worse and worse. Where we just rather than learn how to do it, we expect somebody else to do it for us. <laughs> yeah, now it is an interesting um interesting point. I know there is a massive deviation, um, but it's an interesting point with looking at something like that where you've kind of got with star wars you've got a separate universe i know it's technically a work of fiction and that but looking at what george lucas or tolkien or jk rowling these universes they create and how they are loosely based on ours but how they mirror ours quite a lot that that i suppose is the you know a true master of creating fiction yes is that you do create those universes that people resonate with and kind of understand. And, you know, you get ridiculous amounts of with, with Star Wars or, or Harry Potter or anything like that, people making YouTube videos about theories, fan theories, all that sort of thing. Because there's enough material there and there's enough kind of life yeah. to the characters in the universe that people can do that. They want enough that. to experience and bring some of that into their, their real world. You know, come on, how many people... Well, yeah, I mean, many people, many people escape their miserable little lives by going into fiction, whereas, you know, a lot of people would just take some flying ointments yes. and go walk somewhere. <laughs> Contact Lady Poison for flying ointments. <laughs> we'll, we'll get her to do a range before long. I really want to get her on the show. we got to do a show about flying ointments. That'd be absolutely fantastic. Right. Well, I think I think we're I going think too far go off it, off topic that we should probably draw this, this to a close. This is true. Well, we're pretty much at an hour. So, is there any last points that you want to make when it comes to, you know, uh, glamour, magic, magic of Star Wars, maybe droids? All of that is technically in the yeah, title. Yeah. Well, well, I think. <laughs> I mean, you could you could liken droids to egregores. Is that going too uh, far? Like that you have a synthetic consciousness <laughs> and then you have egregores and tulpas that could, are created. I never really thought about that. We could, we could do, um, but are we just, you know, we're just comparing then, aren't we? We'll save that for a later date. We'll call it something like uh, magic robots. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that, it, it is a quite an in-depth topic. And unless you take something specific... From the Star Wars universe, like say we kind of talked about one scene yeah. essentially, and managed to drag that out for about an hour. <laughs> but um, you know, it, I'm sure there'll be a lot more of these. I know we've got this series where we're talking a little bit more about fiction and then also going into mythology. 
um, and talking about, you know, the occult and magical um, connotations of certain things. You've, you're starting to put together a whole list of um, fairy tales, aren't you? Brothers Grimm and yeah. Disney. Bring some of the magic back that isn't all cartoon-led sugars and sweets. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, covering some of the, uh, shall we say, traditional elements of the story. Put, put the magic back into <laughs> Disney. Not the, uh, yeah, put some magic back into Disney. That's quite a good, uh, that's quite a good one. But now I don't know. So I suppose that's it. And we should uh, say goodbye and thank you for listening to the extended edition of this podcast. And again, obviously, check back, because if you have access to the Patreon, then you get a lot more content than the everyday schmuck does. Yeah. Let you in into our broom closet. <laughs> Let you into the broom closet behind the scenes. <laughs> and every now and again, we'll say the f*** yeah. world. But there we go. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And I'm sorry that the uh, audio wasn't as great as it should be on this one. But that's the reason why you're probably listening to this on a different platform. Of course, normally we will edit these into 30 minutes and release them as a podcast. And then the full episode then gets available for people on our Patreon. But again, this one didn't go too well, so we thought we'd just release it. Please don't judge this, um, because this is essentially our worst work. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was thinking about deleting it entirely, but I thought, well, why not? We've put a little bit of effort in, and someone might get something from this. But there we go. Thanks for watching, or listening.